I certainly appreciate the opportunity to have part in this summer series. I think we have a very good subject for us dealing with ethics. Considering we live in a world today that most people cannot even define the word ethics for you or morality. But I'm thankful to have part in that. It's good to have part of my family here tonight other than my wife and daughter. It, I don't know. I was starting to get a complex because earlier in the year when I spoke, Brenda left town. I'm speaking this week. Jim and Janice left town yesterday and Freeman Cooper left town. So I don't know. People leave town when I get ready to speak. I, <laughs> I don't know how to take that. But I'm glad that you're here. If you're visiting with us, I'm glad that you're visiting with us and hope you can come back each opportunity that you have. Uh, I know that Steve probably got... Uh, the title off of the sheet that I have in my office, which has me doing the origins of ethics. But actually, Jim did that, and I'm doing the Christian ethic. Uh, in the bulletin, it's listed right. It's listed as a Christian ethic, and that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. Uh, an ethic, or excuse me, when we look at the Christian ethic, we're looking at a system. Now, we understand what ethics are. We understand what morality uh, or morals are. But yet when we look at a system, you know, a system can either be right or wrong. We talk about pattern theology in the New Testament, and that's a system. And we look at the subject of the origin of ethics, well, we know where that comes from. It comes from God when we're talking about ethics being that which is right, that which is good. Uh, morals has to deal with that which is right, good, correct. So they're synonymous with one another, and they, they're interchangeable, used interchangeably. So when we talk about the Christian ethic, we're talking about the system, a system within God's Word, and actually the only system that we need to go by. The only way that we can know what's right or what's wrong is according to God's Word. Unlike the atheists and the agnostics who do not look to God for their direction, you have to look to man. If an atheist says there is no God, where does he get his standard of right and wrong? It either has to be from his own thinking and experiences or the thinking or experiences of other people or a combination of both. But we see that within God's word, there is a system of right. Doing that which is right. From the very beginning, when God created Adam and Eve and put them in the garden, there was the system of right. Because he gave them instructions. He told them what they could do. He told them what they couldn't do. And from that point on, all the way through, even though in the beginning God's word was not written down, it was not a written word, it was a verbal word. And it amazes me, oftentimes people talk about the New Testament, whether it's binding, authority, and so on and so forth, and, and they talk about, well, the New Testament Christians didn't have the written Bible. Well, they didn't have the completed Bible written down as we do today, but they had the Old Testament scriptures on scrolls and manuscripts and lectionaries and so on and so forth. And then shortly after the gospel was revealed, the New Testament books began to be written. But just because something wasn't written down doesn't mean that there was no truth. It doesn't mean that there was no consistency there in God's truth. But yet it's just another ploy for them to be able to get in their beliefs and their doctrines. But tonight when we talk about the Christian ethic, we're going to talk about the system that 
tells us what is right. And also within that, the opposite of that, by telling us what is right, it shows or tells us what is wrong. Now, in our world today, there is a lot of confusion about right and wrong. I really feel sorry for the young people of our generation because of what they see in public and what they see from adults who have not gotten the message either about right and wrong. How many of these young people actually get to hear the truth of God's Word? I'm thankful that there are people who will take time with young people to teach them. But many of the young people today, the reason they're in the situations that they are in is because they have no knowledge of God. Their idea of right and wrong is what the TV says. Their idea of right and wrong is what the newspaper says or what their neighbor or their friends or their teachers. And believe me, there are teachers out there who push their beliefs and doctrines even on the little children. But God's Word is above all other ideas, teachings, philosophies that man has come up with. We can only be right when we agree with God. When we disagree with God, we're wrong. There's no way that man has the right to take God's Word and make it mean anything that they want it to mean. But many people have been convinced of this very idea. And in our world today, there are so many ideas about religion, about spirituality. And when people don't know any better, it's easy for them to get caught up in those things. One reason that cults are able to get people is usually the people are vulnerable. Lack knowledge, having some problems in their life, they need someone, somebody, and that cult is there to fill that void. Well, if the truth is not there, even if it's not a cult, someone, especially a young person growing up, is going to start believing and accepting what they see in front of them every day. Now, we understand that with the world. But what about the church? Do we have problems with ethics in the church? And that's where we're going to be focusing tonight. We absolutely have problems with ethics in the church. After all, the church is made up of humans, right? Ordinary people. Although we understand that our relationship with God is supposed to be different than the world, oftentimes the world gets in us. But when we look at the system that we are to follow, when we look at the system that we are to use to guide our lives, it's going to mean something to us. I'm afraid that many members of the Lord's church no longer look for the standard of rule. Too much of the world has come into the church. Too much of the church has gone out into the world still claiming to be the Lord's church. There are many things that we can talk about tonight, but my time is limited. So I just want to mention just a, a, a category of some of the things that fall within ethics and what we need to be concerned with as Christians. And like I said, I, I don't have all of them listed. There are a lot more than these, but uh, these are just some of the things that are going to fit within this category of ethics that we have to be concerned with, not only in the world, but nowadays in the church. Before a person can exhibit 
right or correct behavior, they have to have some basic knowledge of those things. And as I mentioned, our young people are being exposed to things that appear to be truth, but they are not. Some of the things that we have to deal with in this area happen to deal with spiritual authority, have to deal with proper interpretation, have to deal with subjects such as lying, substance abuse, whether it's illegal or legal drugs, medication, social drinking, drinking in general, dancing, improper dress, abortion, improper, uh, inappropriate sexual activity, cheating, profanity, homosexuality, marriage, divorce, and remarriage, reverence for God, reverence for the church, self-control, attitude, and many other things. The church is not exempt from having these things come into the church. Because oftentimes people are not brought up, as I was, in the church. From a young child, I was exposed to the truth. But a lot of people never have even been exposed to religion. So when they come in, what are they going to bring? They're going to bring a lot of ideas and things from the outside world. Oftentimes, for those of us who came up in the, in the church and then eventually uh, obeyed the gospel, we already understood certain things that were wrong. A lot of people are not in that situation today. They know they need to change. They know something's not right. But maybe nobody's pointed it out to them exactly where they have gone wrong. Brother Thomas B. Warren said, and I'm going to read a, a part of what he says. He says, As sad as is the decline of the moral standards of non-Christians, even sadder is the decline of faithfulness on the part of members of the Lord's church, and it seems even entire congregations. We see the espousals of many false doctrines. In example, the espousal of the uh, doctrine that salvation is by grace alone. Of course, meaning that the non-Christian need not do anything in order to become a Christian and be saved. No, obeying no acts of, uh, of obedience to the gospel in order to be saved. He talks about subjectivism. The doctrine that whatever each individual espouses is right for him, which is actually an espousal of relativism. Regarding the Lord's church as nothing more than a mere denomination. Rejecting the Bible as the objective standard of God's truth. And so on and so on. That is happening today and has been happening for a number of years. Uh, when I was in Memphis, I had the opportunity to be around a lot more things like that than I ever had before. And I was, my eyes were open to uh, men doing, uh, preaching certain things and leading congregations off into error. And it has not stopped. It's even worse today. And I think Brother Warren has it correct. It's a sad situation. So as we see these things, the first place for us to start was with ourselves. We have to make sure that we're doing what God wants. We have to understand these things. So uh, a lot of it comes back to attitude. But a few of the things I listed tonight that I want to bring out, uh, first of all, the Christian ethics is a revealed ethic. In other words, it's not hidden. God has revealed it in His Word. He has given us His Word 
in order for us to be able to live our lives. Could God come to us today and speak to us as He did earlier verbally? Absolutely. But that's not the way He has chosen to do it. I don't know how many times I've talked with people and they say, well, God could do it this way and God could do it that way. I, in some cases, I agreed with them. But the bottom line was, God didn't do it that way. God has already established His pattern. He has already established what He wants. But God has given us His Word. We're all familiar with 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, a couple of the greatest verses in the entire Bible. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. It says right there that the Bible is, comes from God. It is inspired. It is God-breathed. It did not come from man. It is not hidden in a cloak of mystery as some seem to think today especially when they deal with premillennialism. So we see that the Christian ethic is a revealed ethic. God doesn't want anybody to be lost. God wants all people to be saved. As 2 Peter 3, 9 says, God's not willing that anybody should perish. What does that tell us? That tells us that God's going to give us everything that we need in order to be saved. He hasn't left anything out. He has given us all things. Remember what I, I said earlier in the invitation about what Jesus said, Matthew 4, 4. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Well, how are we going to know that if God doesn't let us know? He has let us know. One way is through the writing. In Ephesians, the third chapter, and as Paul's talking to the Ephesians there, explaining to them that the gospel was not revealed to uh, people years and years before that, but in these latter times, God revealed the gospel. He says, I write that you may understand. So, we have the written word. We can understand it. Paul didn't seem to think there was a problem by reading something and understanding it. He says, I write that you may understand. So, the Christian ethic is a revealed ethic. Also, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, we're told that the Word does not come by man. He says, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God moved, uh, spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So therefore, God directed men to speak and write His Word. Second of all, the Christian ethic is a unified ethic. In other words, it does not contradict itself. I don't know how many people over the ages have spent untold hours trying to come up with a contradiction in the Bible. You know, and Jim spoke on that just not too long ago, a couple weeks ago, about people trying to find contradictions in the Bible and thinking they have found them. What kind of God would give us a word that contradicts itself? Can we really have faith in the God that's that? Uh, I don't, really wouldn't even know the word to use to describe a God like that. He certainly wouldn't be all-knowing, would he? He'd have to be a liar because he's already said that he's not the God of confusion. Well, if it contradicts itself, we got confusion. That'd make God a liar. So we know that's not the case. The Bible is harmonious with itself. 
Uh, I don't know. Some of you may have it. I've got a book in my library called Alleged Discrepancies of the Bible. Notice the word alleged. <laughs> because they're not discrepancies. They look like it on the surface. Ah, oh, we've, we've got a problem here. You know, we've got a, a contradiction here. But as we search and we study more and more, we find that it is not a contradiction. There are reasons why they may, there may be a difference. Why do we have four Gospels? All of them recording the life of Christ, and yet they don't all say the exact same thing. Well, if the author said the exact same thing, why would you need four? <laughs> they don't contradict themselves. The Bible doesn't contradict itself in any area. You know, over a 1,500 period of being written, you would figure if it was just by man, and especially 40-something writers, that somebody would have messed up somewhere. They didn't. Why? Because they were guided by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit didn't make any mistakes. So there is no contradiction in the Bible. It is harmonious with itself. For any system to be valid, there has to be no contradictions. Because if a system has contradictions in it, it's not valid. So that moves us into what about the denominational world, what they preach and teach. They teach and preach contradiction. When a person says baptism has nothing to do with your salvation and then Peter says baptism saves us, there's a contradiction there. Oh, well, that's not what that really means. Oh, yeah? What does it mean? Matthew 19, 9. Oh, that doesn't mean that. Doesn't mean that. Well, okay, tell me what it means. I asked a man that one time. He never gave me an answer. He called and told me that we were teaching false doctrine that uh, we were sending a lot of people to hell on our stance on Matthew 19.9. He says, you know, that's not what it means. I said, well, then tell me what it means. I never heard from the man again. It's simple. If I'm going to tell somebody that what they're teaching is wrong, and they say, well, show me where, I better be able to do it. Now, he could have come back with something, but that wouldn't mean, that wouldn't mean he was right. <laughs> you know, he could come back with a wrong answer. But he came back with no answer. So the Christian ethic is a unified ethic. No contradictions. There's no places in God's word where he crosses himself up. So it is unified. That's what we stand on. How can I put my trust, my faith, my eternal salvation in a book that contradicts itself? I might as well be out doing something else. God knows that. God knows that we have to have something to trust in. In Hebrews eleven six, 6, when it says that without faith it is impossible to please Him, God has to have something for us to uh, have a, a foundation in order to build faith on. If He is a God of contradiction, if He's a God of lies, how can I build or put my trust into something like that? I can't. The Christian ethic is a unified ethic not a self-contradicting one. The Christian ethic is an absolute ethic. If God's Word is not absolute, where do we go? I don't know of anywhere else to go. You have to turn to man, right? You know, it's interesting to me that people forget about the ability of God. Especially when you are talking about and, and I've had this brought up, and, and I don't, it's not really a hypothetical question, but uh, when people talk about God raising, you know, the physical bodies, you know, at the point of resurrection, and uh, 
they talk about cremation. And they say, well, there's not a body there. There's just ashes there. Well, first of all, God created everything. You think He can put those ashes back together? What about people who lose their lives in explosions and there's nothing to be found of them? Think God can put that person or those people back together bodily? Absolutely. So people fail to realize the power of God. They fail to realize that God is absolute. There's nothing weak in God. There's nothing weak in God's Word. There's no untruth in God's Word. It's absolute. And while there are freedoms in the system or the church, for instance, God has commanded us and shown us that we're to assemble on the first day of the week, but He never told us what time. He leaves that up to us. He gives us some freedom there. But we don't have freedom in all areas. God has specified where we don't have freedom. It's unfortunate some of our brethren today have not learned that lesson or have changed their minds on that and have loosed where God is bound, especially when it comes to the mechanical instrument. But God is absolute. God has made truth both absolute and attainable. In other words, we can know the truth. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free, John 8.32. Well, either Jesus was right or he's wrong. There's no in-between. He's either right or he's a liar, or very ignorant. But he's not. He, knows, he knew exactly what he was saying. We can know the truth. So God's word, the Christian ethic, is absolute. There's no variation in it. There's no weakness in it. There's no contradictions in it. It is absolute and obtainable. The Christian ethic is one which involves the thought of the mind or the heart as well as the deeds of the body. When we look at the mind, it is an amazing organ. But it's just that without God giving it life, giving us a spirit, giving us a soul. And I don't know if I mentioned it here, and I don't know if Jim mentioned it, but uh, Wesley could have mentioned it when he was up here talking about, it's interesting, and I never had thought about it before, that when we die and we go into that spirit world, that this physical body is left behind, but our mind goes on, our consciousness goes on. I mean, I was always aware that the consciousness goes on, but I never had thought about the brain being left behind. <laughs> I thought about the body being left behind, but I just didn't think about the brain. And I don't know why, but I thought, you know, that's, that's a very good point. But it also shows, contrary to what some religions teach, that, you know, when a person dies, they, they, you know, they're like they're asleep. No consciousness and some even teach annihilation where you don't exist any longer. But yet, it is the case that our mind goes on, our thoughts, our consciousness goes on. But the Christian ethic is one that involves the thoughts and the heart. God gave us the ability to think, to reason, to understand, to remember, and to do so many things with our mind and our heart. Oftentimes we talk about the mind, but it's really the heart. When we talk about the heart, we talk about the mind. In the sense that 
our thoughts really control our destiny in life. There are some things that we will face that we have no control over that affect us. But then there are times that we make decisions that affect us. We make our own decisions. Sometimes we make the right ones. Sometimes we make the wrong ones. But it's because of what we think, what we do. Proverbs is a great book about explaining about the attitude, the mindset of those who want to follow God and the mindset of those who don't. And if you get a chance, go back and read the book of Proverbs. It's very important. The wisdom that is there. Uh, for instance, Proverbs 23 and verse 7. Speaking of man, he says, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. And that's so important. I used to use an analogy that attitude is like a steering wheel. An attitude is like the steering wheel of your life. Whichever way your attitude goes, that steering wheel goes. Whichever way the steering wheel goes, your life goes. It's based on attitude. It is hard to be for a person who is upbeat, a person who is positive in many ways, to be around people who are the opposite. They're always down. They're always negative. Talk about doing something. Well, they'll come up with a reason why you can't do it. Yeah. So the mind and the way we think is very important, especially when it comes to the Word of God. If you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians, the fourth chapter. I think Paul is so right on. Of course, we know that they were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write what they did, but I think it's so important for us to realize how this, how oftentimes the Scriptures attack or focus in on our thinking, how we're to think. In Philippians, the fourth chapter and verse 8, Paul says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Think. God gives us a brain. He expects us to use it. How many times have we told our children that? You know, God gave you a brain and He expects you to use it. You know, sometimes we have to tell ourselves that. You know, how many times have we done something and go, you idiot? <laughs> you know, I've called myself an idiot several times because of something I did and, you know, uh, I didn't think. I wasn't thinking at the time. But God wants us to think. And He wants us to think according to His Word. Because when we think along with God, our actions are going to be along with God. Now, that doesn't mean we can't sin. That doesn't mean that, that we're not going to step out of line. But what it means is, is our daily living is going to be in harmony with what God has said. 1 John 1, 7, walk in the light. John says, if you walk in the light as He is in the light, what happens? We have fellowship one with another. But the key is if we walk in the light. There's that word again. It's conditional. If. You know, can we choose not to walk in the light? Absolutely. Can we choose to walk in the light? Now remember, He's speaking to members of the church. He's writing to the church. He says, if we walk. So that tells them and tells us that we can find ourselves walking contrary to God's Word. 
Although we're Christians, although we're members of the church, we can walk contrary to God's Word. It has to do with our thinking. I think too many Christians today don't think enough about God's Word. Yes, they've been given key verses or key things to think about, but in the day of liberalism like we're facing today, and a lot from older preachers too, leading people astray, saying, well, the old hermeneutic, the old rules of interpretation, they're no good anymore. Okay, then what are we going to put in their place? Well, I don't know, but the old ones are no good anymore. <laughs> yeah. Does that make any sense? No. It makes sense for them, but it doesn't make sense when it comes to the truth. So we see how that our hearts and our minds are to be in harmony with God's Word. Once again, Proverbs 23, 7. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. How do we think? Where is our thinking? Where is our dedication to truth? That is one of the problems we're having today. Many members are not dedicated to truth. They're not dedicating to being honest in every facet of their life. I wonder how many members of the church cheat on their income taxes. I have no idea. Ralph's an accountant. He has no idea. But does it happen? Yes. Oh, that's okay. It's okay to tell a little white lie. Oh, it's okay to be a little dishonest. Yeah. Is that really what God wants us to be? Is that really having the mind of Christ? We're told to have the mind of Christ. We're told to be holy as God is holy. As Peter writes, As he that hath called you is holy, be ye holy also. So we have the command to be holy. I have known some Christians that didn't really have favorable thoughts about being strict. You know, oh, that's too strict. You follow the Bible too close. I'm just doing what God says, you know. I mean, you know, my mama told me to go to bed. You know, what did she mean? She meant go to bed. Oh, Mom, you're too strict. I think I'll stay up a little while longer. Oh, yeah? <laughs> you know, she told me to clean up my room. What did she mean? Clean up her, my room. Oh, Mom's too strict. Well, I know what I got if I didn't do what she said. Didn't matter my opinion whatsoever. It didn't matter if I thought Mama was right or not. I knew what Mama thought, and I knew what Mama would do. Too many people think try to look at God as a big grandfather figure. Oh, God loves us. I saw on another marquee the other day. The Bible uh, is God's love letter to us. Oh, I admit there's a lot of love in there, but the Bible was not written to be a love letter. And then the last thing, the Christian ethic is one of self-denial and self-sacrifice. This kind of goes along with what I was just talking about. How dedicated are we? When the Bible talks about, in, you know, Jesus in his parables, talked about does a, does a man sit down and begin to build without considering the cost? How many of you have ever built a house or had a house built where you didn't sit down and consider the cost? Now, around my house, you'd have to do that because I don't have deep pockets to say, well, whatever you want to build, I'll pay the cost. <laughs> you know, it's one of those, well, how much is this going to cost me? 
Do we ever ask that question when we become Christians? What's this going to cost me? In Luke 9, 23, Jesus said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Let me reread that. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross every Sunday and follow me. Take up his cross on Wednesday nights. What did Jesus say? Daily. I can't just decide to be a Christian on Sunday or Wednesday and then the rest of the time not be a Christian. I have got to dedicate myself to being a Christian every day. In Luke, the 14th chapter, if you want to turn there, as Jesus speaks on this same issue, really, and of course, now the King James is going to say hate, but that's. You know, that's really not what he's talking about here. And a lot of people say, well, there's your, there's your contradiction because Jesus talks about love. And now he's talking about hating your parents and hating your family. See, there's a contradiction right there. <laughs> we know that's not the case. But the way that it's worded, the way the King James words it. Luke 14, 26. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sister, yea, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. So as Jesus tells us to go out and hate people, no. He is saying that he has to be first. If we put him any other position than first, we've got a problem. If I love my life more than I love Christ, then I've got a problem. And that's the way a lot of people do. Uh, I just, you know, Sunday's my only day off work. You know, I just can't go to church. Sunday's my only day off. Or I'm just too busy. You know, I just don't have time to go to church. Or, you know, I just don't get anything out of it. Sounds like somebody's got an eye problem. And I'm not talking about the visual, not the physical. The spiritual, maybe. But as we see here, it is a life of self-denial. We are to give up our lives, and even to the point of death. Think about the apostles. They were preaching in a time that they would suffer death. They were, Christians were put to death at that time for being Christians. But yet, they went out and preached anyway. That's also another testament to what they preached was true. Why would they go out and risk their life preaching something that they knew was not true? I wouldn't do it, especially to be crucified or to be fed to the lions or whatever. I wouldn't have done that. But Jesus says here that we have to put him first. How many people are going to do that? Uh, I tell you what, I, I just love softball. And I tell you, I just, I, you know, softball would interfere with me going to church. And, and that's just, that was my only exercise. That's my only entertainment. And I think I, I'm owed that. So I won't go to church. I'll go play softball. Well, we understand about self-dedication, dedicating oneself, denying oneself, and following God. We must actually follow God if we want to have eternal life. As Jesus says here, everything else comes second. Jesus gave his life. I, I tell you, I, I really couldn't imagine standing there watching someone be crucified. I wouldn't want to watch it. You know, I wonder sometimes if I'd even be able to watch somebody being hanged. You know, in the Old West, you know, years ago, they'd hang people. And everybody would turn out to watch it. Now, I don't know if I could do that or not. don't know if I'd want to do it. Even if I knew the person was guilty... 
to watch a person's life end right before your eyes is something that uh, have to affect you. But if we're going to follow God, if we're going to be true to God's Word, then we have to understand what the Christian ethic is, and we have to live by that. I don't know who has closing prayer. Thank you so much, Tommy. I was talking to Tommy this evening, and, and he's busy working on his uh, sermon. not finished up. I've got to finish my, my or his lesson. I have to finish mine up about a month ahead, you know. But great job. I, I really enjoyed that. Something you mentioned uh, in, in your lesson, and we've it brought it up before, about uh, the, the morals of our society. There was something uh, I was studying in my lesson that I, I noticed the, uh, just the other day. Uh, a person made the comment that as, as of this administration right now, they're spending $1 million a day in Planned Parenthood. It's our tax money, you know, going toward that. We don't have much, well, we do have much to say as we, as we and I'm not getting into politics trying to, uh, there's some things we can't do right now, but there are things we can do, in which I'm going to bring that in my lesson. Uh, next Wednesday on uh, situation ethics that, uh, and I hope you'll be here, because as an elder of the Lord's church, I cannot tell you, I don't feel like it's scriptural, that I should tell you where you can go spend your money. But I'm going to bring out some places that you don't need to go spend your money next week if you'll be here. But uh, do appreciate your presence this evening. Once again, Tommy, thank you very much. And Brother Joe Weir, if we'll all stand, he will dismiss us in prayer.